I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there. This is Cecilia, content producer at the Webby Awards. Are you making great work on the internet? If so, I want to take this moment to remind you that the final entry deadline for the 27th Annual Webby Awards is coming up on Friday, December 16th. This year, we're expanding our categories across websites and mobile sites, video, advertising, media, and PR, apps, dApps, and software, social, podcasts, games, and new this year, metaverse, immersive, and virtual. Check out all of our categories and enter your best work by the final entry deadline at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Be good to one another. Proud to be for everyone. Millennials do good shit. Duh. Wall Street. What fucking thieves. Hey there, and welcome back. Today's guest is an avid writer about the intersection of tech, culture, and startups. If your interests also fall in this intersection, then chances are you've heard of his popular weekly substack or subscribe to it. Rex Woodbury is a partner at Index Ventures and the creator of Digital Native. After working at companies like Goldman Sachs, Calm, and Airtable, Rex decided to pursue his true passions of entrepreneurship, emerging technologies, and the internet's role in all of it. Through Digital Native, Rex is covering the rise of tech trends impacting society and how we got here, from the development of niche business models to what Gen Z really values online and more. During our conversation, Rex and I covered his coming out journey and how that inspired him to launch the Worthy app, a mentoring and support program for the LGBTQ community. We also covered Gen Z and how their online habits are changing the digital landscape, plus some interesting insights Rex uncovered in Digital Native about consumer trends and some of his work as an investor at Index Ventures. But first, we talked about the early days of his career. I came out at the end of my sophomore year in college, and before that, everyone's experience differs. I had a pretty active, closeted period where um, I struggled with my sexuality for a long time with my sexual orientation. And um, I think for me, you know, I just didn't have that much exposure. This was, you know, I'm aging myself now, but uh, this was back before, uh, thankfully every year there are more and more kind of openly gay individuals in pop culture and media. And and there were some that I really looked up to. Um, I remember I was an athlete and I really struggled with my sexual orientation and how to reconcile that with being uh, an athlete and with masculinity. And, and there were a few out athletes that I was able to look up to, but there wasn't really anyone that I had a direct line of communication to. Um, and so when I came out, it was a difficult process before thankfully my coming out went, went well and everyone um, was very accepting. And I kind of realized that it would have been really helpful and probably saved me a couple of years of pain. Um, that whole facade that I'd, created if I had had a mentor. And so I thought about, you know, what are the ways that we can leverage the internet, um, social network, social media to 
connect people who might have shared similar experiences. So for me, it might have been um, talking to an out athlete uh, to help me understand how I could possibly be gay and also be a good male athlete and fit into team environment and that kind of thing. Uh, for other people, it might be growing up in a really religious household and reconciling that with uh, being gay or bi or trans. Um, for other people, it might be, you know, how to come out to your conservative parents, that kind of thing. And so the idea was kind of, it started as a very simple, uh, you know, Google sheet, Google form that people would input a little bit about themselves and, and their background and what they were struggling with on the mentee side. And then mentors would be able to sign up and say, you know, here's what I think I could help with. And then we would kind of manually match people. And then over time, it got a little more tech forward and sophisticated. Um, but it really originated from my own experience. It's such an interesting thing to hear because on the one hand, this is like one of the you know, there's many great parts and terrible parts of the internet. This this just general area is one of the very great parts of it, and is it is actually, as you know, goes back decades and decades. Even if if you know you you were lacking sort of some of those examples, but even ten years or twenty years before, it was starting to play some small role in helping young people who might be LGBTQ find plus find you know, other people to talk to or communities to discuss it in, you know, sort of in, even in those early days, it was sort of starting to play that role, um, but still pretty niche. And to, to hear that that's sort of the, the how, how you sort of were inspired is really interesting because it just goes to show you that as far as it's all come in those years, it's like not far enough yet. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that keeps me inspired about technology and the internet. Um, you know, I think media focuses a lot on, on the negatives. And I think there are a lot of negative externalities from, from social media and the internet, but there are also some incredible positives. Um, and those kinds of stories of mentors finding mentees. And, you know, I had a very privileged um, coming out experience. It went quite well. Not everyone is as fortunate. Uh, a lot of people can only find community and belonging online. Um, and a lot of people in remote parts of the world, maybe they haven't had exposure to people like them, not just in the LGBTQ world, but at sort of a, a microcosm of a lot of different communities. And um, it's kind of a powerful example of, there's one of our uh, our entrepreneurs that we're lucky to work with, Jack Conti at Patreon, has this thing he says where you might grow up in a town of a thousand people and you're the only one person out of those thousand people that is interested in something uh, and you feel very alone. But if you go online, there are four and a half billion people online. So that means there are four and a half million people who share that interest. Um, and I think that's true for any sort of sexual orientation or, or race or identity or um, any sort of facet of who you are as a being. You can probably find someone online that is like you and that you can find that camaraderie and community with. And that's kind of one of the beautiful parts of the internet and one of the reasons that I love online worlds. Tell me a little bit about how the app has progressed now and, and, and what you're doing and, and where you see it going. Yeah, so right now it, it's run by um, a man named Michael Edmondson now. He's he's running with it and um, has a there's a board of advisors growing it. And essentially the, the goal is to be a lot more scalable. Um, and so how can we make it sort of more self-serve where mentors and mentees can connect and interact with their sessions on the app? Um, you know, review their experience, how we can improve it. Um, the goal is just instead of being a matching form, how can we evolve it into sort of a robust community um, and serve more experiences and um, move, 
most of it probably right now is for coming out experiences and people in the early stages of of wanting that kind of mentorship. But we've observed this interesting phenomenon where I think um, usually when people come out, they they realize that they could be a mentor to someone through that coming out experience. But at the same time, I think a lot of our mentors uh, could also still be mentees to someone. I know that I, even though I've been out for, I guess, about 10 years now, certainly could use some some mentorship from uh, openly gay people who have been through different work experiences or different parts of life that I've yet to enter. Maybe it's going through surrogacy and having kids or adoption. And so we're trying to turn that flywheel into each you know, almost unit of supply can also be a unit of demand and vice versa on the platform where that's the thing about mentorship and menteeship is that uh, everyone is usually able to be both. And how do we encourage that process? You know, some of this was informed by, it sounds like some of your experience on social media as well. And I think at, at the outset, you would you say that you were able to drive awareness to Worthy through social media? Yeah, I think um, probably 90% or more of, of Worthy's growth back in the day in the early days was mm -hmm. through Instagram. And, you know, it's it's been an interesting case study for me and the power again of, of social media, which, you know, I have a tenuous relationship with at times like many of us. And I think we all wonder whether it's um, been a net positive or, or net negative for, for us as individuals and for society. But, you know, without it, I think um, Worthy certainly couldn't have gotten off the ground in a lot of other communities as well. So that's what keeps me kind of looking on the glass half full side of social media. So tell me a little bit about your your personal experience with social media. I know I know it had changed at some point. I know you've gone through some different evolutions of the way you look at it and taking some breaks. Um, and sort of how you've, what you've learned from that and how it influences uh, your work now and certainly some of your investing, I'm sure as well. I would say I'm a member of the generation that um, was not quite digital natives, but more kind of digital early adopters where, uh, you know, I had MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger early on. And then when my very kind of formative years of middle school and high school and college was sort of the peak of Instagram and almost what I, what I call performative social media. And so this was where, you know, Instagram originated as truly a filtered version of reality, right? The killer feature initially was photo filters. Um, and then, of course, apps like Facetune and, and Lightroom and these other editing apps sort of began to warp our senses of reality. And um, I think we all were, I certainly felt pressure to seem perfect online and, and your sort of perfect Instagram grid. And I think we've moved away from that. And I think Gen Z is leading the charge as well in more kind of authentic ways of communicating online. Uh, but for a lot of my time growing up, I mean, I, I really struggled with that of um, seeking validation and airbrushed, you know, curated photos online and that perfect uh, sense of expression of who you are. And so for me, I took a break a couple of years back. I, I think I took a year off most social media and, um, kind of realized that measuring your life and your self-worth in metrics like likes and followers, uh, those aren't the, the right metrics by which to measure a life and to measure happiness. And so that was my journey. And I think um, now realizing to lean into different platforms that um, I'm proud to express things differently. So less visual platforms like Instagram and, and more so kind of writing on Substack, um, Twitter at times, uh, reframing the kinds of content that I'm putting out there 
Um, but it has informed a lot of how I think about from an investor perspective, the next generation social companies and the evolution that we're going to see with social media. Well, if, if there was one or a few or what was the, what were the experiences that sort of led you to reflect on the way the performative nature of Instagram say was impacting you? Like how did, where, how did you come to sort of having that realization and then deciding to take a break from it all? Yeah, this was probably 2017 or 2018. I, I always call it kind of the museum of ice cream era of uh, Instagram where it was sort of um, hyper filtered and curated. And we all were, you know, going to these pop-up museums to get the perfect photo and, and uh, you know, the latte art and, and murals and um, the Kylie Jenner era. And I think uh, I just kind of realized one day that I was measuring how happy I was by the number of likes or, followers that I was receiving online um, and that I was a lot happier on platforms like Snap, which are much more messaging focused or TikTok, which are much more kind of similar to YouTube, like television versus those kind of uh, ways to show off for your peers. And so I sort of made a conscious effort to spend my time either in close, intimate circles with friends on messaging apps or um, being more of a participant in a parasocial environment like a TikTok or YouTube where I enjoy the content, find it interesting, find it entertaining and quite um, educational at times and uh, not necessarily spending a lot of time in that messy middle. And that's how I think about social today. When I think about from, from an investor perspective, um, I tend to think about social as this set of concentric circles where you can think about them as sort of the evolution of the different relationships you have or the different sets of, of contacts that you have in your life with the innermost concentric circle being your closest family and friends um, and the outermost circle being strangers around the world. And then sort of the inner rings two and three are your friends and acquaintances. Um, and the original set of social media that we've mostly been talking about was built on those in-between rings, which was, you know, me connecting on Facebook with my high school roommate, um, you know, me following all of my college classmates on Instagram. And I think those are the relationships that really lean into the performative aspect of social media, because in the closest of the inner circle, you get to be a lot more authentic in who you are. And then ironically, when you're kind of posting for strangers, as you are on, on TikTok or YouTube, sometimes people are much less wary of, of how they're coming across because they don't know the people. And so they're more willing to be um, creative and expressive in different ways. And so, you know, my own kind of personal journey was moving away from those no man's land in between platforms. Um, and, you know, interestingly, that's kind of how the last couple of years of evolution have gone as well with a lot of people turning to more messaging focused products um, or to more kind of one to many content. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you, you brought up the concept of parasocial, just for listeners who maybe haven't sort of run, run by that term. Can you, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's sort of this one-to-many relationship. Um, so if you think of a YouTube creator, that creator has this parasocial relationship with his or her community, with um, subscribers. And same on TikTok. Um, it's a really interesting phenomenon because um, when we think of the creator economy or these different phrases, uh, it's really this idea of one person having this relationship with a lot of people that they might not know, but those people are quite intimately familiar with the creator. A lot of the the rings two and three, those in-betweens Instagram and Facebook were built on are much more sort of two-sided streets where I follow you, you follow me, we know each other offline. It's it's your sort of geographic relationships that are then ported online. And now there are a lot of these digitally native relationships that are, are one-to-many and are really built around user-generated content, but parasocial relationships with content creators who then have communities. In some way, those are those type of relationships are they're they're new in that they're sort of social media based now, but they're somewhat similar to like old school celebrity relationships, right? It's like, you know, uh, every people would think maybe they would never be as intimate with an actress as they are with like somebody who's, they watched 150 TikTok videos because just the level of intimacy maybe is not the same, but that, that there's this feeling that, you know, the person, but actually they don't, they don't really know you at all because, and they've really let you in. Um, but, but they, you haven't let them in, obviously, because they... Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's interesting to track over time um, how those parasocial relationships change based on, on the form of medium. Um, mm. So, for instance, you know, to your point, certainly the 20th century was dominated by film and film actors. Um, but if you think about, you know, your Marilyn Monroe's or Cary Grant's of the world, you maybe interacted with them once or twice a year when they had a film come out. When you did, they were 20 feet tall on a big screen. And so they were literally larger than life. Um, and then when you saw them outside of that, there wasn't social media. And so you saw them on a red carpet and it was a much more sort of less familiar relationship. And then television, you know, it brought that relationship into your living room. If you think of Oprah, um, you know, all of a sudden you felt this closeness because there she was and you were seeing her every day. The frequency increased, um, the screen was smaller, all of a sudden, there's a little more of that authentic connection. And then, you know, smartphones and mobile and uh, video and all of this acceleration, this Cambrian explosion and creativity that we've seen the last few years has made it so that, you know, celebrities are, are much more niche. I don't think we'll ever have a celebrity as big as Marilyn Monroe or Oprah again, because everyone has that niche on their for you page on TikTok or the YouTube channels that they subscribe to. You're also an investor, a partner at Index Ventures. How does, what, what are some of the areas that you focus on investing in and how, how does some of this, what we discussed around social, how does that inform it? Yeah, I'm broadly focused on, I like to say sort of the intersection of, of people and technology. So the things that interest me are 
consumer behavior, how people interact with one another with content. Um, so that's often social companies. It's a lot of marketplaces. Um, it's a lot of commerce and, and how commerce is being digitized. And, uh, you know, these are all topics that we talk a lot about at Index. Um, you know, relevant to this, this conversation is we're investors in Discord. We like to say, um, I like to point to Discord's 19 million active servers every week that they have as a, a metaphor for the different um, niches of the internet and, and how online no, no interest is really too niche. Um, and so, you know, these are topics that interest us, the, the shift of social to, to messaging, to content platforms, as well as just broadly how people are embracing new kinds of digital tools to create things, to share things with each other and how to transact online. Is there any, any companies you've invested with recently that you're particularly excited about? One that comes to mind is we recently invested in a company called Beam, which is basically enabling commerce companies to donate a portion to nonprofits. And so it's this sort of interaction between shoppers online, the brands that they shop with and nonprofits. So the way it works is if I went to buy something from a brand um, in my shopping cart, it will say you can donate 1% of your cart to a nonprofit that you like. And so um, for me, maybe often they're data driven. So it might say a New York based LGBTQ homeless shelter. And importantly, it's the brand that's paying that 1%. And so as a shopper, I'm very drawn to that because um, you know, the brand is putting its values um, first and it's actually putting its money where its mouth is. And so I like that um, as a consumer, but for a brand, they actually like it because their average order value, their AOV goes up, card abandonment rates go down, people are more willing to, to check out when they see that kind of impact. And then of course, nonprofits are getting real donations and new, new donors um, and building that relationship with people. So it's this interesting win-win-win situation um, and I think if we study Gen Z behavior, there's this sort of table stakes view that uh, really everyone needs to be impact first in their in their commerce experience. And so with Beam and the website is beamimpact.com, um, brands can sort of just integrate that infrastructure of impactful commerce. Tell me a little bit more about that. You said that with, with Gen Z, there's this sort of table stakes idea of impact around everything yeah when i talk to to younger people just to learn about the different behaviors that they have um i'm always struck by how the affinity for mission-driven companies and so i think a lot of that comes from growing up in this world where a lot of people saw their parents lose their jobs in the great recession a lot of people entered the workforce during the pandemic they've grown up with climate change they've grown up with gun violence um, there are all of these sort of social causes in the world that people are passionate about and um, you know, there's this sort of critical view of capitalism of wanting our capitalist system to be directed toward productive ways. And um, that can come in sustainability. It can come in the brands that Gen Z prefers and, and how they interact. Um, one example I often think of is Nike has consistently been rated as Gen Z's favorite brand. And uh, you can see the Colin Kaepernick ads that they do as an example of putting their values first and foremost. So, you know, typically young people, but also consumers of all ages prefer brands that take a stance um, and put their money where their mouth is. And it's an interesting shift of how do brands keep up with that and ensure that they're showing and communicating to their consumers who they are. Yeah, it's a, and it's tricky, right? To, because to, to do that in an authentic way, 
every company out there does some does does something wrong. There's no company that does everything right. There's no person that does everything right. So it's hard it's it's hard for companies to figure out how to take a stand and do so in an authentic way while also understanding that there's a bunch of stuff they're probably not doing as well as they could be. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think about a lot because uh, you're exactly right that um, it's very important for it to be done in the right way. And that's one of the reasons that Beam's model is elegant because shoppers, I think, would not be okay with themselves giving 1% of their cart because they'd say, why am I not the multi-billion dollar corporation here being the one to, to pay this? Um, and so it says a lot that the brand is willing to do that. And of course, there are incentives and it's an elegant structure where everyone sort of benefits from that. Um, but it definitely needs to be done in the right way. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly a capitalist. Um, I believe that capitalism is a very powerful tool for social good when it's directed in the right way. But, you know, I think stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism is an interesting comparison. And we're seeing this generation grow up with what's been somewhat of a broken model of capitalism that's very based on investor return versus taking care of employees and uh, customers. And uh, I think there's the fundamental rethinking of that with the younger generation. And some of that we see in sort of a skeptical view of capitalism in general. Um, but I think a lot of it will will just mean rethinking how we actually build this capitalist system. You do you do a lot of work with around creators, and I would therefore suppose around some of the sort of like more tech elements of of creator world, such as like NFTs and Web3 and stuff like that. What has it been? What's this last year watching, which I, I think that like in, you know, 20, 30 years, we'll look back at like the last couple of years is just, just like really one of the, the biggest change moments of around internet culture that, you know, in, in 50 years, honestly, it's just been, it's, there's just been so much activity and so much innovation. Um, similarly to like the 2000s, though, lots of really positive things and lots of really negative things and, and big economic woes because of it. What's your what's your take on what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to look back on these few years as this interesting confluence of a number of trends, both both short term and long term. Uh, I think what we had was we had, of course, the near term shock of the pandemic, which changed a lot of behaviors and um you know, sent the market through an initial shock and then it resumed its sort of historic bull run. Uh, at the same time, we've had the coming of age of a new workforce, um, you know, Gen Z entering the market, younger people growing up, uh, as well as an aging society and a lot of interesting demographic shifts. And so, so much has happened that uh, has shifted how we think about technology. Um, to your point around the markets, I mean, you know, mobile and cloud have been the two dominant trends of the last 10 or 12 years. Um, I think there's a lot of anxiety that both are quite saturated. It doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities remaining in the two. Um, but, you know, they certainly aren't as ripe for innovation as they once were. And so we see a lot of interest in crypto and AI and VR and AR. You know, people are looking for, for what the next big thing is. And at the same time, there's more capital than ever, to your point, chasing those opportunities. You know, you've got massive consumer behavior, you've got a pandemic, you've got um, a lot of record levels of, of venture dollars out there. At the same time, it's never been easier to start a startup and lower costs to do so. Um, so there's record business creation. So it's just this really interesting sort of kaleidoscope of a lot of different trends. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. But um, it's certainly an interesting time to, to be in the startup world. 
You have a Substack called Digital Native. Uh, you had an article recently, which I think so, sort of captures what you're just saying. I just found endlessly fascinating. Uh, it was a 10 charts that capture how the world is changing. Um, I'll, I'll just mention a few of the charts, not all of them you had. You had one on home ownership, which showed that essentially you, people used to like buy homes or rent homes within a few miles from their office. And all of a sudden in 2021 or two, it's like 50 miles. It's like a 10x change or something mm -hmm. like that. There was one around the price changes in consumer goods, super fascinating. All this like disposable stuff like clothing and and, and things like that are actually not it's not, it's not going yeah, down. Yeah. It's not going up, it's going down. But all the stuff that really matters, like healthcare and education, is like becoming drastically more expensive. You had the fastest growing jobs, which was like some of it was so interesting, pandemic related stuff like animal trainers and then really obvious things like healthcare and personal care. Um, and then this sort of other one that was about like how the nature of pop culture and like where pop culture lives and which countries it's coming from is really changing. Altogether, it just paints this like th there's no thread that I could find. Is there a thread there that you find uniting? Is there some is there some view that really like makes sense of all of that? I don't think so. I mean, I think a lot of my pieces will will have sort of a interesting through line. And um, I kind of mentioned it this at the top. Usually, one piece. I write them every every Wednesday. It'll usually be narrow and deep. This piece was a little more uh, shallow and broad. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to touch on a number of different shifts. And, and I think what's interesting of the ones you highlighted is it goes back to this point of there being both a lot of short-term shocks and long-term secular trends. Um, so the homeownership, you know, that's directly pandemic-related. It's really interesting to think about what that does to what are the ripple effects of that. Um, of course, there's remote work, the different jobs that people are drawn to. What does it do to the mountain towns that everyone's moving to? I was just reading an interesting article around uh, Lake Tahoe and how locals are reacting to the influx of Bay Area folks moving yeah. there. Um, what are the the business opportunities? You know, a lot of people are looking to buy second homes, buy primary homes, you know, invest in homes. Um, and then, of course, like there are second and third order effects. You know, it's interesting to think about. Um, with the elections happening a couple of weeks ago, what happens to the map of red and blue in the country when people aren't tethered to their city for, for work and maybe the urban folks move into to more rural areas. So all sorts of interesting things there, but that one's certainly a very direct shock from the last couple of years. Whereas the, the second one you highlighted was the, the price changes of services and goods over the last 20 years. And that one, you know, is certainly um, one of the longest term trends out there of if you look at TV prices over the last 20 years, they're down something like 98%. I can buy a smart TV for a stunningly low price right now, whereas education has tripled and healthcare costs have doubled and college tuition is near unaffordable. Um, and that's just a, a long-term trend that has real structural issues, mostly in policy. Um, and so it's just interesting to look at the different ones. And I think that's one of the joys of, of being a venture investor or being in the startup world is um, you know, one of the privileges of my job is getting to context switch of learning and thinking through what are the, the trends. Some might be uh, caused by something short term, some are long term, but you know, they're both going to have massive effects over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And so what are the interesting businesses that can be built and who are the sort of uh, singular entrepreneurs with a vision for how to make that world different. 
Yeah, I mean, in in times of change, you know, that's where opportunity. I mean, that's what you know. That's what really successful entrepreneurs will always tell you is that in change is where opportunity lies. Certainly, seems like there's a lot of a lot of change. On the politics thing is so fascinating around the home ownership because I, if it plays out, it'll be really interesting to see if it plays out long enough. Can we get to the question as to like what are are they? Do they live in those places because they are those things, or are the are they those things because they live in those places? Right, which is sort of the I'm sure it's neither. Yeah, I'm sure it's neither yeah. one of the either of them, but it's a mix of that. But that is sort of one of the big implications of of that home ownership change, which would be fascinating to see. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different uh, demographic changes in America, and um, you know, I, I think another chart from that piece was how fast our population is aging. You know, every day, ten thousand people turn sixty-five, and uh, the ratio of young to old is changing dramatically. Um, you mentioned, you know. Relatedly, you mentioned healthcare is is the fastest growing profession, and that's directly related to uh, the need for home aides to to take care of uh, seniors. So there are all sorts of interesting trends, and I think the job of a venture investor is thinking through where are the big businesses that can be built, um, and just you know having the eye for who are the entrepreneurs who are going to go build it. Rex Woodbury, so great to have you on the Webby Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Um, the the Substack is Digital Native. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, thank you. Thank you. No, great to be on and uh, excited to chat with more people and appreciate the time. A huge thank you to Rex Woodbury for stopping by the Webby Podcast. Stay caught up with Rex and his latest internet discoveries by subscribing to Digital Native on Substack and following Rex on social media at Rex Woodbury, R-E-X-W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y. If you're interested in being part of the online mentoring community, download the Worthy app, available on Android and iOS. For more information about the Webby Awards, please visit us at webbyawards.com or on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. If you like our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you took a moment to give us a rating or review. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our editor is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our writer is Mahi Sugebo. Our producer is Cecilia Betzel. Music is Poddington Bear. C.L. Vanderveen is our managing director, and Claire Graves is our president. I'm David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.